Howdy, frazzled friends. Welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. If you're a type A, an imposter, or an overscheduling addict, I want you to make yourself really cozy for this interview and this conversation here in Le Vital Core Salon. And if you're new, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. I hope you get lots of ideas and inspiration from the conversation that will unfold in a couple of minutes. And to all you regular fans who keep coming back and sharing emails with me or sharing the episode, thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for helping make this show grow. It's awesome and this wouldn't exist without your help. So yes, thank you. And I also want to give a a quick shout out to all of the women who have been mailing me their task lists. For those of you who are new, I talked about this on the last episode, that I am on this mission to collect 33,000 handwritten task lists from women around the world. And they're coming in from like, I think about like 24, 25 states at this point, um, seven other countries. And, you know, this is really about a dream of mine of doing a visual deep dive into exploring how women are balancing obligation and desire in their lives via a task list and employing art to do that. So last show, I had asked some of the listeners to send in their task list because my birthday was coming up on March 17th. And there's a few days left before the birthday rolls around again and so shamelessly i'm i'm plugging and as a small birthday gift i'm asking that women listening share their handwritten original task list with me and they can be mailed to p.o box 453 and that's in hurley h-u-r-l-e-y new york and the zip code is 12443 or if you're gonna see me in person coming up feel free to just hand them to me But please help me have a really awesome birthday celebration and when I return home from South by Southwest to have an entire mailbox stuffed with lists. That would be an amazing dream. We're getting really close to hitting the thousand list milestone. And with your help, we can make that happen. I have a really great woman that I want you to meet this week. Her name is Anna Mehta. And for any mass holes listening, I did not say animator. It is Anna Meta, and she is a dance improviser, choreographer, and teacher. And she's been doing this work for probably the better part of two decades at this point. Her work in creative movement, both as a teacher and bringing together a fusion style of dance which incorporates African and classical Indian and flamenco and modern and Latin dance styles together as one, has taken her all over the world. She has studied across cities in India. She's taught in Zimbabwe and Africa. She's also taught in England and all over the Northeast. She's doing some really interesting stuff and, and really growing her brand and growing growing her abilities as a teacher and expanding outward. This conversation with Anna is a really great one about perseverance and really being able to overcome challenges. For her, it was a lot of challenges with language and dyslexia and being a really sensitive child 
and how she overcame that and how she grew into be the teacher and, and dancer that she is. But also learning how to say, it doesn't matter. Like, this isn't going to bother me. And, and balancing that with, with this need for wanting to be good. So this conversation, there's, there's so much inspiration. Please give it a listen. And voila, here's the interview. Hey, Anna, welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I, I feel like we have a whole life story to unpack in today's episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm excited to share. Cool. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here. And and I know you've shared parts of your story with me to sort of help me prep and just from our previous conversations. And I'm I'm so excited that you're you're willing to sort of open up and I, I think this will be a a different kind of show. So I'm excited and I really oh. appreciate it. Thank you. Me too. I'm very excited to share and happy to be able to talk with you. I know you're a listener of this show and you know a lot of times I usually dive in with like, where are women right now? Like what's going on? What are they working on? But I feel like after looking at your story, I feel like we need to time travel back a little bit to the beginning because so much of your story starts from your very beginning. (laughs) So... Maybe we can start with where did you grow up, which seems like a really simple question, but I'm going to, where did you grow up, Anna? So I grew up in Chile, the country in Latin America, but I also grew up uh, bilingually. So my parents, I was born in Rhinebeck and my parents went to Peru first when I was a year old and then Chile when I was about two until I was about 14. And so I lived and I went to all Spanish school and spoke English at home. So I consider myself kind of culturally Chilean American (laughs) world, like world citizen. My heart is very much American and Chilean um, and Chile, Chilean, Chilena, um, like we say in Chile. So it's, I had a very bicultural childhood. So now you said you spoke English at home. So English was your your native language. Are your parents Latin American? So my parents are not. They are American. And they uh, went to Chile and Peru to help the Baha'i community there. And my dad became a radio DJ. And my mom was is um, still, they're both artists. And my dad worked as a radio DJ. My mom was a writer and a journalist in Chile. So they just wanted to explore the world. And we went to Chile for 13 years (laughs) when I was a baby. Whoa. Okay. So you're going to Spanish schools. You're speaking English at home. What was it like for you growing up as, as kind of an American transplant in Chile? Well, um, it was hard and also was amazing because of uh, when I was here and I was a baby, I was able to work with blocks, like, you know, with the num with the, with the letters 
And I was able to put the blocks together when I was a baby before going to Peru. And then when I went to Peru, I got confused by the language. And the two languages that were all of a sudden Spanish was being bombarded at me as a baby and as a like a one year old. So growing up bilingual kind of switched my brain and I had dyslexia as a child. So I had to go to specialists at a special school and and my dyslexia was very um, intense in terms of trying to learn you know, to read and write in Spanish and and also having the English influence and the English language it at, because I spoke in English in Chile, but I didn't read or write in English until I got back here. So how old were you when you were diagnosed with dyslexia? Like how how early on did they figure out that that was a challenge for you? Maybe seven or eight, six, something like that. About seven or eight, I went to a specialist because I used to hold my pencil really tight in my hand. And I, and I was so, so tight that I, I couldn't write. So I had to go to the specialist to like let go of my hands and, and make sure that my hand was, was, I could hold the pencil in a calm way that I was, you know, comfortable to and relaxed enough to write. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, I think, a year of going to a specialist when I was about eight, seven or eight, nine, something like, in one of those, those years. I quite can't remember exactly the year or exactly the time mom was taking me to the specialist. And is that a symptom of dyslexia or is that a sign that like a kid is having problems? Because like when you're six, seven and eight, you're sort of just starting to learn how to read anyways, right? So was this like tension holding the pencil? Was that related to like stress from kind of struggling or, or is it just something that happened to tip people off, like there's something going on here. Yes, yeah, so it was caused by stress, and, and to this day, I work really hard, and um, and throughout my whole childhood, and in terms of education, I would really like just focus on my work and just and just concentrate and try. And so whenever I, so I would get frustrated, and I think because I had issues with with learning the the letters and the b's and the c's i think i i acquired that kind of tension and so i was holding the pencil like that it took a while for my parents to realize but then after then it was like understood and realized that i needed to go to a specialist and and then going to a specialist really did help so you you got kind of moved from the normal school to a specialty school so that you would have some more support around being dyslexic what was going on socially for you as a little kid? Like, was this a challenge or was it still in that age where it's like, hey, who are you? Can we play at recess kind of thing? I was an ch- extremely sensitive child. Oh, my gosh. I am still very sensitive. I've acquired a little bit more of a tough, but I am st- still to this day extremely sensitive. I had issues with dyslexia and with with learning and with trying to figure out the reading because I really wanted to read, I really wanted to write, I really wanted to be good at math. I wanted to be good. I wanted I wanted kids to like me, um, and and also I was very different from a lot of the Chilean kids. I have red hair, and um, very light white skin, and a lot of the Chileans are much more you know dark skin, not not dark dark skin, but like black hair. Um, and so even even the, the, the Indians, native Chileans, were also mistreated and not treated very nicely by the children. So if you're different, you're, the, the kids were kind of 
not treat you well and bully you. And I was just an extremely sensitive and emotional child. And I got took everything in so sensitively. Oh, my God. Well, especially like as this little kid, I'm sure you like you were looking around and you're like, everyone's got dark hair, dark eyes, and for the most part looks a certain way. And then you have I mean, your hair is pretty bright red. We've we've met in person. (laughs) Your hair is pretty bright red. And it's curly. And it's it's, you know, as an adult, it it's gorgeous. Oh. But I can only imagine as a little kid where you're just like kind of looking at your own skin and thinking, you know, wow, I don't look like everyone else, do I? And these kids are really letting me know it. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. They totally let me know it. They would call me a ton of names. I don't want to go into it. And I used to walk or I, I would go around this. I grew up in Santiago, which is the uh, big city in Chile. And my parents were trusting enough. And so I, I kind of walked around by myself. I mean, I would go to school in these buses and there were like these green buses, very, this was in the eighties. Um, and I would, you know, go to school by myself and, and walking on the streets because the Chileans have a tendency to stare. It's like part of their, it's part of their culture. I don't, it's, it's, and so whenever someone is new or different, they kind of stare at you. So I would walk around with my hair in a bun and um, wishing I had black hair all the time. <laughs> oh, wishing I looked like the Chileans more. Yeah, I was. Um, I I was very shy, though. I I'm very street savvy. I mean, I I, I knew I knew what I was. I wasn't. Uh, I was aware of my surroundings, but um, I was shy in in a lot of other ways, and and very sensitive. And I wanted to please the children. I wanted to please. I wanted to have friends and. Um, I do have three really, really good friends and, um, I knew them one late, one girl I knew from elementary school, but she then, she kind of moved around. So she didn't stay in my life for a long time as a child. She's now in my life again as an adult, but it's not within the same realm of my schools. These, these friends I kind of met outside of the schools. They were, but they're exceptional people. So what was the bullying like? Like, what what were you able to learn from that experience? Like, when you Ugh. think back now as an adult, like, is it is it is it traumatizing? Is it you know, like, I imagine there are lessons that you learned, you know, that especially being sensitive and learning to cope with being sensitive. I'm a highly sensitive person too. I mean, even just the color temperature of light sometimes can can throw me, oh, you know, and yeah. I've just recognized it's part of my decision making, but it's it's kind of automatic now. It's not like these big like decision trees that I have to work through. How do you think the bullying impacted the sensitivity or the or even the other way around? Um, it took me a few years, it took me until up to middle school. And by the time I was about 14, I would I I finally was like I don't care anymore in pleasing others. I was a ch- I was the child that wanted to please. Um and I started kind of putting this mantra in my hair in my head like no me importa nada. Y no me importa nada. It's like this song. I don't care. <laughs> I don't, no me importa nada. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care if people like me. I don't care if, if, you know, uh, if I get rejected as an artist now, I, if I get rejected, it's, it, I'll move on. You know, I'm not going to take it personally. 
Um, and I still work on that. I still work on not taking things personally. The children in Chile knew or saw the sensitivities in me. And so they picked that, that they, they, they realized that I was a very sensitive child. These children are very, very intelligent. Um, so yeah. So anyway, so now I'm, I'm, I tell that mantra to myself sometimes when I'm in a, in a mood or pleasing mood. I'm like, nope. I don't care. I'm not going to please you. <laughs> non importa nada. <laughs> no me importa nada. No me importa. It's a song that I used to sing to myself. <laughs> is it actually a song or was it kind of like a little it song is. you made up for yourself? No. No, it's actually a song. It's actually a song I started listening to, kind of becoming my mantra. <laughs> I love it. I just picture like you as this little red-haired kid like rolling down the street kind of like humming your song. <laughs> oh my God, I totally was doing that. <laughs> So, like, when you hit that point where you're like, non importa nada. No me importa nada, yes. When you hit that point, was it something that kind of evolved? Or did did you just have, like, a day where something happened and you're like, enough. I am done caring. Like, I give zero fucks at this point. <laughs> um, no, it, it, it evolved. My life is... In, in evolution still. I mean, I think that that's it. I'm, and I'm, it's an evolution as an artist. I'm, I'm, I'm evolving all the time. I don't, I don't think I have these breaking points where I'm like, you know, it's like, because I, I kind of think a lot and I'm always kind of like aware of things. I observe a lot and it, it kind of is, is in progress of what my trajectory in my life is. So as a child, it's the same thing. I, I was evolving to that no me importa nada. It was definitely an evolving kind of like like wave kind of thing. So it was, it wasn't something that just clicked. It, it had to, it had to evolve. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> and like, so you hit this point where you're like, okay, I, I don't care. I feel like just so I can understand, when did dance come into your life? Because dance is a huge part of your life now. Did that happen in, in Santiago? Did that happen later? It happened in Santiago as a child, my whole life. So when you're a child, you think, what do you want to do when you grow up, right? You kind of like have those thoughts. You know, I always yeah, like, I'm going to be the astronaut. I'm going to yeah, yeah, mow yeah. lawns. Right. I'm going to play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> like, outlandish right. things. So what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, there's that, there's that whole question. What do you want to do when you grow up? And, you know, at first I wanted to be a... Almost a lot of children grow up, they want to be an oceanographer. You know, they, they love the ocean. And I used to go to the ocean uh, every, like, we lived an hour away from the ocean and in Santiago. And, but then I was thinking, I kept thinking, okay, what I want to do with grandma. And I kept dancing. I was always dancing. I was dancing in my room. So my mom would see that. She would be like, wow, you're talented in, in this aspect of, 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 your, of your growth. Um, you're a talented mover. And she also loves acting. And so she, we would go and see plays and see dance shows my whole childhood in Chile. And I would, the, the theater in Chile and the dance performance in Chile is very, very good. I mean, especially the theater. There's some exceptional actors and actresses in theater. And um, so that was really influential, really inspiring. And at first I thought, oh, I'm going to be an actress. Oh, maybe I'll be a dancer. And dancing has always been been in my mind and always been in my heart and my body. And so when we came back here to the States when I was 14, I started taking technique classes and improvising and choreographing my first piece at 16. And so I've been dancing and 
exploring and my evolution, as you're saying, as a dancer is moving on. It's still in progress. Yeah. Um, and my, yeah. So I've been, I've been, dan- and thanks to my mom, she always inspired me. She's like, you're a good mover. Take classes, go for it. You know, she was very supportive. Got it. So, okay. So I'm, again, I'm a visual person. I'm, I'm a visual and a kinesthetic learner, which how oh, I'm in podcasting yeah. is sort of hilarious. But <laughs> but I guess I'm picturing this little kid that's like, you know, dancing on the couch, dancing on the – like dancing in her bedroom, dancing outside, twirling around oh, on yeah. the way to school. So is that what it was really like for you? Like you just didn't stop moving? I I was – I'm very kinetic. Yes, I definitely was moving around all the time. And, and I was always choreographing as a child. I was always – making pieces with this muse music and dancing with my dolls and singing. I was always singing. I do, I do don't sing in public, but I hope one day to be able to sing in public. I think the same thing, although the public may disagree with that in my case. <laughs> the, oh, pub- come on. the public might want me to go back home. <laughs> no, 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 no. We have to uh, fight our fears and just do it. Just like, no, be fearless. And, and, and you see that it's all in your mind and you'll be able to, you'll, yeah, no. <laughs> so it, it but, sounds like you having these creative parents too, like your mom being really in tune with your artistic abilities. Like I feel like some parents might just look at it and like, oh, I have a really busy kid. But your mom was able to really clearly see like I should sort of foster this movement for her. She's exceptional in that way. I really appreciate that about her. And so you started dancing when you were in Chile. And then just so everyone else is on the same page with information that you and I both know, you and your parents and your family ended up making your way back to the Hudson Valley. Yes. Yep. And so so that happened. When did that happen sort of in the mix? Just so how old were you? When I was 14 years old, we moved back and we moved to Beacon and um, the Hudson Valley has been in my life off and on for many, many years now, though my parents now moved to Arizona because of the, uh, they never owned a house and the gentrification of Beacon was too high for them. So they couldn't afford the rent. And so they moved to Arizona. So I don't have them here anymore. Ah. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness! So you're here, and, and your family's like on the other side of the country. Yes. Oh, I know. Oh, they're 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 in the desert, and I'm here in the winter wonderland right now because it's winter right now. <laughs> I know. I was just gonna say, like, I think they got the better end of the stick, as like, as you know, we're digging out with snow, and today, as we record, just like pouring, pouring cold rain. So I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So what was that like for you moving back to the Hudson Valley, which, I mean, it's a beautiful part of the country and being newer to this area. I mean, I feel like we just we just moved to this area last summer. I am loving it and think it's just beautiful up here. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. you were this little redheaded city kid who then gets like transported back to the Hudson Valley. <laughs> what was that like? Well, oh my gosh, it was intense. It was very intense. And um, the most, the, the thing that I, I really struggled with for the, for the first 10 years 
was, well, my education as well, my language acquisition. I knew how to read, speak in English, but I didn't know how to read or write in English. So when I, when we moved back, I went to middle school only for six months. And my mom was like, nope, she's not going to survive there because they put me in, in this classroom with all the kids that have developmental issues and they were throwing things on the wall. It was, it was chaotic. So I was homeschooled in order to learn to read or write in English. And I had to put my Spanish to the side for about, oh my God, a while because it's, because and then I went to college. So I went to, I was homeschooled. I went to school in Millbrook for, and then it was, the parents were the teachers and I went there twice a week. And then I did homework and did my own work at home. And, but the most interesting aspect is that I learned how to read in English. I realized I knew how to read in English because my mom used to read to me very novels as a child from the time I was maybe two until I was uh, 13 or something. Anna Green Gables, Huckleberry Finn, The Secret Garden. And I would read with her sentences. And as she was reading to me, I would read with her. But when I, so when I came back from Chile, I had to really put the Spanish away and really concentrate on that reading. And then I taught myself to write. <laughs> so I would write run on sentences for like at least eight years or something because then I went to Empire State College, which was like, you design your own degree. And so that had, I had mentors there that would help me write and, and make sure I don't have run on sentences and stuff like that. So. Oh my gosh. So, cause I, I, I feel like I've talked to guests in the past, like Katie Moonen shared about, you know, being bilingual and, and what that's like and how that, how that impacted her. I guess, like, at this point, because I don't know a lot about dyslexia, is that something, like, you had acquired the tools you needed to actually even be able to see the words in the letters at that point? I think that's the key right there. I think I was trying to solve both problems at once. So I didn't realize that I was reading with my mom as she was reading to me. I didn't realize that. She did do a few little exercises as a child to try to teach me how to read in English, like to read a poem or... Um, a few little things, but then she stopped because she realized I need to concentrate on Spanish when I was in, 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 in school there in Chile. So I was, I think, battling two different worlds as a bilingual child, the Spanish and the English. But my mind was, was when she was reading to me in bed, I think I was relaxed. I was having fun. I was enjoying the story. So I think in that context, I was able to read with her. But when I was in school and when I was trying to learn math or English, I mean, Spanish, I think I got more tense. So my mind was not fully gelling in terms of the Spanish, in terms of as a child when I was seven, eight, in terms of trying to build the the words and reading in Spanish. Um, Eventually, I did read in Spanish. It, it is two different worlds. I do. It is two different worlds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> dyslexia for someone who is only trying to learn one language feels like an uphill battle enough for, especially for mm-hmm. a kid or or a tween or a teen. And then on top of it, you've got these like major cultural shifts happening. 
you know, not only just language, but going from like living in a city like Santiago to the Catskills. But I also was managed to to switch my brain. You know, like when I went went home and spoke English, like if you use your body differently, you know, and when you speak Spanish, like when I started speaking Spanish here with my Spanish friends or with my Chilean friends, I inf- I say words differently in Spanish, right? And so my body language changes. And so your brain, it's like you diff- it's like you, you live in two different worlds. Like when and so when I'm, when you when I speak English, it's it's like I think in that way, right? So it's but I can also think in Spanish and I can also dream in Spanish. So it's it's a very um, unique way of seeing the the world because you see the world in a in a very kind of and so I think as I was acquiring language and as I was doing my education as a child, you know I got confused in certain areas and and maybe I wasn't maybe if I lived here all my childhood I would have not had dyslexia. I always think that my dyslexia is is based on my bilingual status, my bilingual self. And I don't I certainly don't know enough about either. As I like, you know, my high school Spanish is receding and I'm trying to learn French <laughs> like, oh, as an adult. It's sort French of like such a beautiful language. Uh, some days, some days <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. I, I hear Have beauty in others. To- yes. And Montreal oh, okay. is also a favorite city, but two oh, okay. very different Frenches. <laughs> Oh, really? The Montreal, the Montreal, French Montreal is very different? To put it in perspective, so my family, and it, it's funny hearing you talk about your experience, you know, sort of being transplanted from one language to another and like, you know, mm-hmm. that you were speaking English at home and Spanish at school. So everyone in my family on my dad's side, like my dad, all of his brothers, my grandparents, like everyone, my grandparents came through Quebec so they mm. all spoke French and you know back in the in the 50s being bilingual was not I don't know if it was frowned upon but it wasn't really encouraged in the way it is mm. now mm. and I mm-hmm. remember like my dad was the youngest and the, all of his brothers were in school and the boys were struggling because they were speaking French at home so they were totally fluent in French as children and as they were trying to learn English in school like the school finally just came to the house and said all your boys are struggling to like keep mm. up and learn the language mm-hmm. cut it right, out right. you're gonna have to speak English at home so oh I, no so French had kind of you know and my mother went to Catholic school growing up so I think you know they taught that like kindergarten through you know eighth grade or whatever so pretty much like everyone in my family at, at some point spoke French and so I was mm. like, you know, this might be interesting. Like, I know I took Spanish and I know that's the practical and probably the more useful language for me. <laughs> right. However, you know, maybe maybe it would be fun to learn it. And I remember being really excited and taking, you know, just a couple of classes at night after work and then telling my grandmother about it. And she laughed. It was like, you'll never understand any of us anyways. Because, like, the, the French, Quebec, like, the Quebecois French is so different mm. than the Parisian French. Oh, but it's so beautiful. And I think learning a language at any age or any, it's, it's, so, it's so important. It's a lovely skill to have. And being able to speak another language, it's one of my favorite languages, too. I love, I love French. But I'm sticking just, just teaching Spanish. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm appreciative, like, 
it's not like, oh my God, you've got to catch up and you're behind. And, you know, because I, you know, I was the straight A student and worked really hard and was like the nerdy kid doing homework all the Mm -hmm. time. So I think like being able to come to a language because I want to and be able to just like casually learn it. Like I pretty much function, like I can only pretty much speak in present tense these days. You know, I kind of learned for a while and then, you know, life kept me busy in a way that I wasn't able to use it. And I don't know a lot of, of French speakers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's sort of like I have these like little bits and pockets that, you know, when I'm traveling or things like that, that I can play around. So I sort of function like at kindergarten, first grade level and like very rooted in the present tense, which is sort of, mm-hmm. you know, from a meditative state, it's kind of funny, right? Like when you can only speak about what's happening right now, <laughs> it's... There is no past. Yeah. There is no future. Oh. <laughs> well, what what has helped? I mean, I've been uh, in the states for quite a while now, and I have lost a lot of my vocabulary. Or you know, if I don't speak Spanish every day as I did in Chile, I, I lose it. And so, even I will never lose it to the extent that maybe some people, because I got here when I was fourteen, so it was it was def- it's definitely ingrained in my in my mind, and and it's definitely a part of my heart and part of my but I, I like to listen to Spanish music. I'm always listening to Latin music and I'm always watching videos. And I think that helps if you just immerse yourself in the language just yep. to kind of kind of just like get. And I think if you immerse yourself in the French language and the French music and the French cuisine and the French, the French language movies, it, it kind of brings it kind of becomes a part of you. And, 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 it, and it just keeps your mind kind of working, you know, in that other language. Yes, I notice even just a short trip to Montreal where you just, you know, you see the subway signs or you see the street signs with words in French, it just clicks into place better than, you know, trying to memorize it from a flashcard or like things like that. Like You just sort of absorb it and it's the word is there all of a sudden as opposed to what is the word for? What is the word for? What is the word for? <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I went to, I went back to Chile after 24 years of not being back. And as, and as a child, you have a memory of, of the country you grew up with, but it's a very different memory as when you're an adult. And it was amazing. I mean, arriving to Santiago and looking at it with adult eyes and looking and going to my old house where I grew up with, it's amazing. Kind of, and so I was hoping that I would be dreaming in Spanish. And my three weeks that I stayed there, towards the end, I started dreaming in Spanish because I've been I've been here in the United States for twenty some years, so immersed in English most of the time. And so I knew I could dream in Spanish, but it took a while. And um, if I go back to Santiago, you know, stay for a month or two, then I will start dreaming again. But I love the feeling of dreaming because you know you're you're in that language again. You're fully immersed in that language when you dream it in that in that language. And so you said you do most of your stuff in English these days, but I think you also do a lot of your stuff in movement, right? Yes, yes. I yes. feel like we need to talk about <laughs> like so you are you started dancing as a kid because you were busy, busy, busy and moving around and your mom recognized this. And then you began dancing and expressing yourself in dance when you were in Chile. What happened when you got here? Like, and sort of, 
life shifted again for you in all of these ways culturally? Where did, what happened with dance as all of this other stuff was going on? So dance was my like healing. <laughs> it's my healing modality, as you would say. I, um, and I, for a while, I thought I would be a dance therapist. And I and I really delve into researching that and looking into that. Um, but then I, I kind of was, it took, it was too much money. And then, you know, having a job after that, it's hard to get a job in dance therapy or to, I don't know, my, so I opted out, but it was a few years of, so coming back from Chile and I was 14, I started improvising and I started working out my struggles, my Chilean struggles and through improvisation. So I would use the studio, the Howland Cultural Center in Beacon for like twice a week and dance to different styles of music and just explore and be creative. And by the time I was 16, I choreographed a piece called My Chilean Soul. And it was just about bullying, about not caring. <laughs> there was a chair. I, it was just basically just letting that, just like shedding my story in the movement form as a, te- as a teenager, as 16. And... I performed it in New York City uh, once. I think I performed it twice somewhere. I think somewhere in the Hudson Valley I did that too. I studied dance in college. I went to Empire State College, which is like you design your own degree and you, you know, because of my education stuff, I opted out of the traditional education scenario, you know, having traditional people talk to you. I I was basically self, I'm self-learned. So then I took classes on how to teach creative movements and um, I've been teaching since, oh, God, for 18 years, been teaching children. And the past seven years, I started two major programs. One is teaching the Spanish language through movement. So I, I brought back Spanish into my life, and I thought to myself, well, I love Spanish. Spanish is a part of my life. I love movement. I love dance. Well, how can I bring the both together and teach Spanish language through movement? Uh, and I teach children through adults. And then... I also teach fusion dance, the combination of African, flamenco, classical Indian, modern, and Latin. And that was a program that's been developing for the past eight years, nine years, um, throughout my studies of African dance and classical Indian and modern and Latin and flamenco. I thought, I studied these dance forms, been to those countries, but I had not fully professional enough to teach those dance forms at a one-on-one part like you know flamenco just teach pure flamenco really so to fuse it and to bring together to show the oneness um to show that we're all connected through dance is one of my vision it's a vision of mine as an artist and performing artist oh my gosh so what you're talking about is so outside the the day-to-day and like even what i know creatively like i feel like i'm into film i read almost endlessly. Um, you know, my husband, Craig makes fun of me all the time because, you know, the if there's the Dr. Bronner's soap bottle in the shower, like I'm reading that, you know, like I, I can't even like put words down when I'm, when I'm taking a shower. <laughs> like there's always like, you know, uh, as a kid, it was, I would read the same box of cereal. So I feel like, but dance and, and movement has been something that I just, I never was exposed to really growing Mm. up in a small Mm. town in central Massachusetts. 
And my parents were more athletic. Like, I think my mom played basketball. My dad played football and, and baseball and, you know, was, was quite good. Or I think, no, football and basketball and was quite good mm. at his sports. But I just, I always was kind of like awkward. So I'm hearing you describe what you do. And I guess I, I feel like I have so many questions. And maybe <laughs> this is a really like overly simplistic one, but maybe someone else listening has this question. So I'm going to put aside <laughs> my, I feel stupid asking this. What does a dance improviser do? Like, what is that? Like, what does that look like when you go into that mode? Like, is this just you selecting music and you go into a studio and you're like, I'm just going to begin to move and sort of it becomes this intuitive process? Like, help me understand as someone who's like, I don't even know what the heck this is. So there's an there's an evolution as my in my dance improvisation. And the evolution started when I was, you know, 14 and started using the studio on my own. And I would put on different styles of music. And intuitionally, I would start dancing to different styles of music. And at that time, I was very um, more creative. And I didn't have that, those boundaries, the, the, the a teacher, you know, I did go to technique classes, and I loved my technique classes. And as a child, I had like, the imagination was very intense. So when I intuitionally would dance to this music that would inspire me, I would use my imagination and imagine different things and, and move to the music and think about the stories of my life or think about what's inspiring me that day. And, and as the evolution went on and I started taking more improvisational classes, you know, dance improvisational classes, learning how to improvise with others, connecting with others through movement and through dance, I started becoming more technical as a dance improviser. So I do, I do put on music on still, and I do dance to the music and just intuitionally move still as an adult. But there's also an, an awareness as an adult. Like if I, when I start choreographing a piece, and if it's not a structured improv piece, there, it has to be a complete awareness, right? a complete focus. But when it's a structured improv piece, there is an awareness of what theme I want to use, like what theme of movement do I want to dance in, do I want to use movement that's purely, you know, um, spiraling, which is one of my favorite symbols of life is, is the spiral. So if I want to just have movement that is spiraling, I have to think about the spirals and think how many different ways can I spiral around the space? Can I spiral low on the floor? Can I spiral standing up? Can I spiral while jumping? Can I spiral... Well, you know, spiral just my arms, you know, and to find different ways of spiraling. So I have to really use my mind and improvising the different thematic ideas of the spiral idea. You know, I'm going to be working on a new piece on fusion of flamenco and modern for this festival that I'm helping a friend start in Rosendale in August, the first flamenco festival in the Hudson Valley. And that piece will emanate from improvisation, but I'm going to give themes to the dancers and give ideas to them to explore. Got it. So it's, this is going to be a, a, a strange parallel, but like I think when I've gone to Toastmasters in my life, they have like a thing called table topics where mm. they kind of invite people to just speak and someone brings a topic and it's like, tell us about your favorite meal from childhood. And like everyone has to get up and just like, 
get up and improvise and like you don't have a speech prepared, you don't have your sentences ready, you know, you just have to get up and like talk in front of the room about this topic. So what I'm hearing is it's sort of parallel to that. Like you you kind of plant people with the the seed of an idea or a or a mm-hmm. thematic um thread, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then kind of give it room to sort of happen. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the and then but there's like theater improv, you know, when you have theater improv and you have like theater improv games, there's yep. similar stuff, similar idea to to dance. There's dance improv games there is also the connection between between two people so there's there's like the mirroring exercise where you where two people are facing each other and you follow each other's movement but then that can be improvisation right so you you follow so yeah I mean it's I sometimes choreograph pieces that are structured improv as well where there's the beginning is choreographed the middle is choreographed and the ending is choreographed and then the middle of it is like improvisation but what you mentioned about the speaking is definitely correlated to a lot of aspects of dance improvisation. Got it. I wanted to make sure I understood that because it's like that was a new one for me. Because I think like <laughs> choreography, like you sort of get like it's you're creating these the sequence of moves that then right. you're going to practice and practice and practice and sort of get down. And I think the old gymnast, like I was a gymnast when I was really young. Oh, okay. So I think like, that's you awesome. know, that kind of makes sense. It's like, okay, this is the routine and you're going to just keep perfecting it and refining it and perfecting it and refining it. Well, g- gymnast is a lot like dance. The one with the music, you do it on the... Oh, like the floor uh, routines? The floor routines. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess that would be, that would be really parallel in a lot of ways. It just yeah. seems like such a different energy to me. Yes, choreographing is definitely putting movements in sequence, but you can also have improvisation within the choreography. So you can use improvisation within, you know, like in the middle of the choreography or at the end of the choreography or throughout the choreography, however you want to. So improvisation is a tool that is used in choreography. I've also, and I want to do this more, is perform pure improvisations where I just know the music really, really well. And I just go on stage and perform. And it, I haven't really rehearsed the movements or the dance, but I know the music really well. And I think music is very important. Some choreographers don't use music as much, um, don't really connect to music. But for me, music is is the key. Like, I love rhythm. I love Monk. I love Amy Winehouse. I love rhythmical musicians because my movement just love to connect to all different aspects of the music. I love jazz. And to be able to connect to all these different aspects of the music and, 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 and the drums and this and that and, and just fully connect body, soul and heart to the music as a dancer is truly important to me. And then that might be different from from being a gymnast. Gymnasts might not need as much music and gymnast gymnastics is much more what the body can do, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got out probably around like, 10 or 11 because I think I recognized like I was just not as coordinated as the other and I I I function in my head and as an adult I've really consciously like through Pilates through yoga through running like really work quite hard to get out of my head and recognize there's Mm. a whole body attached to what's going on up here and right 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 yeah so I, I like I think I got out before it got really competitive and really intense 
and and I think, you know, so I was still, I was, it was at that stage where it's like, well, if you're going to come, you got to start coming like three or four days a week and like really commit um. to this. And I was like, yeah, I am sort of the special needs gymnastics <laughs> student most of the time. So the idea of like, like I would have had to work like 30 times as hard to, to not be an embarrassment at like a meet, I think. Mm, and mm, I think as a kid, mm. I recognized that. Mm. And I guess also mm. coming coming from that little tangent, when you were talking about like you'd love to do a piece that's pure improvisation, there was a part of me that like a chill went right up my spine and I was like, <laughs> that sounds terrifying. And then and then I have to ask because like here you were this little kid with like wanting to get the good grades and wanting to be the good student and like really trying so hard. How did you go from, like, the scared little pencil gripper to, like, I just want to, like, move freely on a stage and not have anything planned and just be in my skin so fully? How? <laughs> uh, well, I, I really attest to my being uh, homeschooled. That really helped my self-esteem. And my self-esteem is an evolution as well. <laughs> For all of us every day. <laughs> I don't wear my hair down in public yet. I only wear it when I perform, down when I perform. Um, so it's still an evolution. And, and my self-esteem really, I really would say, has been building and being homeschooled, going through the college that I went through, really working hard on the, being determined, really just being determined. And having that inner strength and that inner kind of like, I'm so grateful that I have the mom that I have that I that I was homeschooled that I was able to to surpass my childhood struggles I mean move on and 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 so I think my confidence I'm just not caring like I have these goals I have these dreams and like if I want to go and do a pure improvisation with a song I I don't do it that often believe me I listen to this music but my goal is to definitely do more of that pure improvisation because Improvisation is one of my strengths, and I want to share it with the world. Um, so, yeah, I'm grateful. I'm really, really grateful. It just strikes me, like, listening how brave and daring that feels. And maybe this is just my stuff kind of coming into this conversation where I'm like, you know, any sort of, like, even karaoke. Like, karaoke or dance or just, like – you know, I speak, right? Like there are times I've done keynote talks and it's just me on a stage. And like, certainly like there are nerves, but in that element, I feel comfortable. But like the idea of karaoke or improvisational dance, it just is so <laughs> almost like otherworldly to me. Like I'm having trouble as I listen, like even getting my head around. It would be like having that anxiety, you know, that classic anxiety dream where it's like you're in the front of the classroom naked and you're like, what the hell am I doing here? And where are my clothes? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, so I, I have a hard time speaking in front of the audience. I have, so it, I've, and throughout my whole, I don't know, 18 years or something, I've done a few talks and every time I would get it, I have do a talk, I would get beat red. I would just be red as a pea, be like, like, I, I do. I've, I've pushed myself. I'm working towards it because I do have a talk on my fusion dance program that I like to talk about the different dance cultures, the different, and then, you know, explain a little bit of the history. And then, and then I dance and then I do a little fusion dance. Um, 
so I do have that program and in as an as a freelancer and as a as an artist and as a entrepreneur. Um, so <laughs> but uh, I do struggle talking. So dancing comes easy to perform in movement comes easy to me. But to talk in front of an audience is and to sing in front of an audience is, oh, my God. I can't <laughs> so so me saying the word keynote probably gave you the same like, oh, <laughs> yikes. That's oh, terrifying. Yeah, no, not, oh, oh, that is terrifying. <laughs> I, that, that's oh, my gosh. But that's awesome. And, and I hope you have many more keynote speaking uh, opportunities. Why, thank you. You're like, just keep them out of my keep them out of my my zone. <laughs> No, well, me, yeah, no, I haven't thought. I'm not. That's not in my radar to do a keynotes. No, but yeah. what I'm, I'm so impressed by is like, even though you're saying how scary something like that is to you, you're like, but I'm actually like, I'm actually taking that on in in smaller pieces and incorporating it into the fusion work that you're doing. Right? That it's it's yeah. like because yeah. you as a teacher have to be speaking probably a lot, right? Oh, well, yeah, but teaching and speaking to an audience is got two it. different. Got it. Uh, experience, two different things. Like when you're teaching kids, I teach in public schools, um, private schools. It's very, very different from standing in front of an audience and telling your story or talking to the audience and, and giving a lecture. Different because I work with children mostly, so I have to be really active with them and Make sure that they're active and they're moving and they're having fun. Because what so. age children are you generally teaching? Toddlers up to middle school. Oh, super fun. You're like, maybe not some days when they're like ballistic and off the wall. But it seems like where they're like, there are certain kids who are going to be like really ripe for learning at that age, right? Yes. I love my elementary school age children. They're my, they're my favorite. And they're just very kinetic and and really love to move and uh i love them because you can you can at least you can inspire them when you i don't really do high schoolers because it's it's harder to influence because they're already a set kind of in their understanding um but middle school and elementary school elementary school is they're just kind of at this age where you can really inspire the children got it Got it. And then you're also like the fusion work. Is that mostly adults or is that children and adults as well? Children and adults. And for children, I, I incorporate the history and I use creative movements where, you know, the children um, explore different aspects of the culture and animals, you know, like African animals or um, and then explore listening to the different styles of music. So flamenco dance, there's a guitar. Guitar is one of the major uh, instruments of flamenco. So the children explore listening to flamenco music and dancing to the flamenco music. Got it. Got it. And Anna, you're doing a lot of different things. I guess, like I'm hearing that you're teaching you're you're dancing on your own. I am. You're doing choreography work. Mm-hmm. You you're doing all of these things. And I guess I hear the dedication and like your drive to make things happen, right? Like just in this conversation, I, I feel like 
you you seem like a really hard worker. How do you organize and and manage all of these different projects? Because your work is not like just getting up and going into an office every day. I have different lists. I have three lists on my computer, both mostly, and, and they're ongoing. They're ongoing kind of months, years, however, however. And it's list of goals. And it is also list of a to-do list. So it depends because I freelance around the area and I teach at different schools. And then throughout the year, you know, the summer, I lose a job, I gain a job. So I have to write down what schools were interested in, what schools would be able to hire me over the summer. And so then I have kind of a schedule on when to connect with the schools and when to email them or call them. So I have these workshops at OMI. It's it's this international residency place for visual artists, architects, dancers, and they're having a dance residency. And so there's certain times of like a month or there's a project of mine that I really want to get done. And so I get that done within a few weeks within a, so then I can move on to the next project. And then I have kind of a schedule thing where I say, okay, this month I'll connect to OMI oh and say, okay, when can we organize some workshops for spring? So I kind of have a schedule that I look, I look at my notes and I look at my lists kind of a few times a month to kind of remind myself of my goals and also what I need to do in the next few weeks, in the next few months. Then then there's extra things that happen. There always the month, is, right? So, right. The, so, <laughs> so there's, there's, you know, lat, like I had my performance, I performed in New York City. So during Christmas vacation and, and that month was purely focused for that. I had other things that, that were that were happening too, but I was really trying to focus on that. And so then this month was, you know, the podcast. And then, then I, then as the flamenco festival happens more and more, I have like a schedule within like March, April, May, I'm going to start choreographing and working on and But as I'm working towards that, I'm thinking about what I need to find a space. I need to find the dancers and there's ultimate goals in my life. I do want to start a dance company. I do. And then figuring out financially um, how to do that. And I'm, I'm working full, you know, full time as a dance teacher. And, and so that's my major income. But it's, you know, to balance the work and the artistic endeavors and the, and the projects can be a little bit uh, challenging because I, I have to, you know, most of my dance projects, most of my dance work is work that I can get paid with get paid for. So I have to balance the whole everything. So it's, it's a challenge to balance it. But then I have my book in my purse, which is on my to-do list for the week. Got it. So what I'm hearing is like you kind of have this like big overarching list that you keep online that you're sort of sitting down with. And it sounds like every few weeks, like, okay, where does my focus need to be? Like which project? It, it sounds like you're really good about like dialing into okay, work is happening and there are the things that you have to sort of get done as tasks related to work. And then it sounds like all of these other projects, like you're constantly checking in with them every couple of weeks and saying, where do I need to focus? Which project deserves my focus, you know, for the next two weeks or the next month or, you know, however long, say, a show is? Yes. Yeah, so so there was one month that I focused on the Oh My Residency. 
And I feel I was just like three weeks where I just like plugged. I knew I knew I sent it in a little early, my proposal to be to have. the. But I was like, you know what? It was I had to just do it regardless if it was perfect or not perfect or it wasn't perfect at all. Like a hundred percent not perfect and not caring if I'm going to get in or not get in. But I just sent it out and then I moved on to the next project. What helps you maintain that focus? Because I know like women, there are certain women listening, you know, and many are very like type A and driven and and sort of focused like you're talking about. But then there are also folks who are probably listening that are like, wow, that sounds impressive to be able to just say like, okay, for the next three weeks, I am just going to focus on this residency application. And that is where my energy goes. And that is what I focus on. What helps you maintain that focus? (laughs) Oh my God. I'm always (laughs) complaining about my lack of focus. Always. So the flamenco festival is in my mind, right? And 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 I'm like, oh my gosh, I I have to focus on this. I have to do some things for my friend who asked me to do this, and I'm I'm like, okay, next week I'm going to focus on that, you know. So it's not easy because it's a skill, and I think because I have a hyper focus kind of scenario, like when I have my mind can go in a circle and can circle and circle and circle, and if I don't finish a project, I can keep obsessing over that, and it would drive people around me crazy, right? If I'm obsessing and obsessing and obsessing. If I just sit myself down and get it done and I'm done with it, then I don't obsess over over it and then and then people are like happy with me, right? <laughs> that that I live with <laughs> I'm crazy with the whole obsession. Um and I think that's like ADD kind of thing where you just hyperly obsess over like I hyperly obsessed over New York City for like weeks, you know, and then until that was done, I could move on to the next obsession or the next, <laughs> the next project. obsession. And <laughs> <laughs> but I I get what you're saying in terms of like so for you it sounds like there's a lot of satisfaction in the completion right like some people are really good about like their idea generators and they're creative and they love starting things but there's not really a lot of joy in finishing it sounds like for you like bringing it full circle and and being able to say like I did this And I put my effort in. And even if it's not 100% perfect, right? Like, it sounds like you're also able to be realistic. Like, there is only so many hours that you can keep working on, say, the same residency application. And it's like, eventually, it's like, this is going to have to be good enough. You have danced all over the world. You've danced in Africa. You've danced in Europe. Your work as as a creative has taken you all over the world. And yet you've also won awards for your work. I guess hearing that driven and and hearing, you know, that you also have these like outward signs of success. I think a, a question that I'm always really interested in learning more from women about is how do you define success for yourself? Success for me is is being able to be paid for my work. And if I have you know, more success in terms of people knowing me and, and, and this and that to be humble within that. And success is for me is just sharing what I love to do with no expectations of anything in return. And, but the expectation, anything in return in terms of like people liking me and this and that, but, but getting, but getting paid is, is the expectation 
that I, that I look for as in a success. So for you, like being able to do this work and collect a paycheck and have your bills paid and get to be creative. Like, it's not like you're having to like wait mm-hmm. tables at night as a dancer. You've been able to successfully integrate that into your, your, yes. your day gig, right? Like, Yes. So my day gig is teaching and I've been teaching, but I, you know, throughout my years, I have had times where I was not teaching, where I was not fully supporting myself through my work as a dancer and dance teacher and choreographer. There was a few times where I was a caregiver for an older lady for two years. I've been a babysitter. I have worked as a classroom assistant and now I do work as a classroom assistant for toddlers in the mornings. And then in the afternoons I teach dance. So it's not that I am completely you know, no, I'm not going to support myself by other means. But if I am able to support myself through teaching and choreographing and performing, that is a sign of success for me. And I want to switch gears a little bit here, Anna, and and ask some questions about what it's like to be to be a woman, because I think it's so important for us to hear different perspectives. And I guess I think... I think it's important for us to have some context before I ask some of the other questions so that we understand the place that you're coming from. And we've gotten a chance to hear your story and and learn more about who you are and, and what you're about. But I guess in a general sense, how would you define being a modern woman? So when this question, I was a modern woman, that was never, I had to research. I was like, modern woman, what, what does that mean? Like, I had to really think about it, right? And I posed the question to some of my male friends, like, what is it? How do men think about it? You know, like coming back to myself and what I consider being a modern woman is having that independence of, of mine, independence and independent of mine and having the idea that men and women are equal and also just having the strength and the, the inner poise, the inner, the inner kind of like if, if, if a man flirts with you or if you're, there's that self-confidence that you don't need a man, that the man, like, I'm okay in what I'm doing. It's okay to concentrate on my career, that there's, that I don't need a man to validate the me and that independence of spirit, which kind of is... Um, I think it would be for a guy to try to date me it would be very hard because I'm very independent (laughs) spirit (laughs) I'm like I'm going over there to the store do you want to meet me and he's like over here and I'm like oh my gosh yeah (laughs) so I appreciate you actually like taking time to think about it because I know I I send these closing questions to every guest because I recognize like it might be a question that they've never thought of and and I want to hear their perspective, no. but I oh love gosh. the fact that you've been kind of like polling people and kind of delving in. I I appreciate that about that. Yeah, I asked I asked three of my male friends, <laughs> or my brothers, two of my brothers, and then one of my best friends, and he's like, "You have to tell me. All men are all women are cool." I'm like, oh, that was like a good how answer. diplomatic of you. <laughs> Very diplomatic. And then my brother was like more like independent spirited and, and, and my other good friend was similar to, to him and, and, you know, equality, um, you know, so it was interesting to hear it from the male perspective because I was like, well, 
females, we kind of have an idea, right? But what what do men see as a modern woman? What I mean, what do men consider a modern woman? You know what I mean? Uh, I just found that to be a really interesting question to pose to other to other people. Have that question <laughs> and run with it. I hope you don't mind me using it to, and 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 and. If it, it gets men and women talking about equality, have at it. <laughs> and I guess from this perspective or this place, like. What would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about? Oh, I, more of a shit about what's happening in the world. So there, so there's genital mutilation. There is child. There's women, childhood marriages. There is, um, there is the the oppression of women in Afghanistan. There's the oppression to give a shit more about oppression. Um, and what's happening right now with the Me Too is amazing because it's talking about it's hashing out the the underhand of what's of of women um being sexually harassed and sexually but there's also the hashing out of of the oppression that happens all around the world and i think to not just connect to america america but to really to i i like to see the world as as trying to connect i want i would love to see modern women fight for justice not just america but around the world and who is a woman you'd like to thank or credit for their contribution to the world? Oh, my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Moms are a favorite for this question. I, I, I'm glad you've interviewed awesome uh, and, and awesome women that have said mom. And uh, um, well, my mom, she suffers as well from migraines. And when we were in Chile, she uh, she would be in her room a lot, and she would she would have a lot of migraines and, and I had at least she suffered a lot. And, but within, within her suffering, she was an amazing example of, of perseverance and determination. And she worked as a journalist for an American magazine there. She wrote a book. She's a writer and she wrote a book there that ended up being published here in the States, but because it was an English book, but so she 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 keeps on going on. She's she's now you know in Arizona with my dad. Been married forty one years, and and she's just an incredible example of a woman who who has suffered greatly physically, but in her physical suffering, she managed to work as a journalist to take care of me to to take me to homeschool um i was home you know as a home to observe what was happening to me and to you know work my whole my and you know she also worked as a librarian when she was here and to write and she's also a visual artist she does these amazing collages um so i keep that in my mind when i suffer from physical stuff and and i go through drama in my life I, I I keep that example of just moving on and going on. So she's. Thank you for sharing that about your mom. <laughs> I, I, I hope she listens. I hope she'll, she'll listen. She'll I'll, I'll <laughs> do the podcast. She'll be all like, oh, my gosh, you're amazing. You're such a good friend. And yeah, she'll be all. <laughs> oh, I love when the love spreads like that. So. And. You know, we've talked about so many different things and you've shared so much from your experience. Now here towards the end of the conversation, what do you most want Levital Core Salon listeners to know? I, I want them to know how amazing you are. And I'm so grateful that you have 
um, invited me to participate and talk about my story and gave me a chance, even though, you know, my story is humble and, and my experiences are humble experiences. And um, I'm really appreciative and I'm really grateful that I, that I know you. Oh, Anna, thank you. Like, you have no idea. I think people think I am an enormous pain in the ass most of the time. <laughs> you know, I, I can I can scoop lots of, of doses of tough love, you know, especially like with my clients, like and really being straight and firm. But what people may not know is what a schmoop I am. And so now my nose is starting to run and my eyes are tearing <laughs> up and I... Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Well, thank thank you. you for inviting me, <laughs> letting me share my story, which is my first time sharing it in the public like that, like this. So I really appreciate your um, opening yourself to my story. So, And listeners, please take that in. Like, this is the first time Anna has really, <laughs> other than talking to friends or maybe little snippets of conversation yes, and maybe sharing one of these stories... <laughs> We got like a big old condensed version of her story and, and, you know, she let us like sort of traipse through the weeds. I applaud your bravery. Like I had no idea. Like I thought, you know, she's been teaching and teaching all over the world and dancing and, and doing all this stuff. I had no idea that you hadn't really opened up about like these other parts of your story. And I hope everyone listening to you after they hear this podcast comes up to you and gives you a massive hug. So if you're listening and you know Anna, go up to her and give her a hug cuz this is pretty I don't, brave. I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I, I'm uh, yes, a hug is is good. I I oh. <laughs> or a high five. Whatever you're down for. <laughs> But I so appreciate you being here. And oh, I will make sure you. that everyone has, you know, the links to, to your work and, and what yes. you're up to and yes. your, your contact info. For women listening who want to connect with you, what is your favorite way? Facebook, Anna, Anna Veta Dance Fusion. And you through email, Anna Meta1978 at gmail.com. Anna a-N-N-A-M-A-Y-T-A, 1978 at gmail.com. And then I have a YouTube page, and you can Google me as Anna Meta, A-N-N-A-M-A-Y-T-A. So Cool. And I'll I'll make it easy. I'll, I'll make sure everything makes it to the show notes. But Anna, again, this conversation, thank you. Thank you for, for showing up bravely. Thank you for, you know, letting this, letting your story be out there in the world. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, <laughs> I I truly appreciate you you being here. Well, and I, thank you. I appreciate your work. So I appreciate what you're doing for all of us in your podcast and and what you're the women that you're interviewing and the inspirations that I've gotten by listening to your pod, podcast. It's wonderful. So gratitude and love all around then. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Gratitude. We have to gratitude and spread love. That's like the the this world needs a lot of love right now. So, yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> so, thank you so much. Have such an amazing rest of your day. Thank you.
Hey everyone, it's Kara again. Before you skedaddle off into your day, again, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode. And you can find all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode over at levitalcoresalon.com. And just a reminder that new shows will be up on the second and fourth Wednesdays. But if you don't want to have to remember that, one of the easiest things you can do to both support the creation of this podcast and be in the loop of when the next podcast is rolling out, you can sign up for the newsletter. And you can do that. There's a link right at the top of the page at levitalcoresalon.com. So L-E-V-I-T-A-L-C-O-R-P-S salon.com. And I'd love to be connected. Those emails come right from me to you twice a month. And you'll learn about the podcast. You'll learn about upcoming events that you can partake in. And also, there's going to be some health and lifestyle motivational tips, tricks, resources, and tools. So it's pretty chock full, but only comes out twice a month. So don't want to spam your inbox or overload you just give you some options for getting closer to a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Also, I can't forget to thank the team that helps make this show happen. And that's my kick-ass husband, Craig Snyder, who edits the show and makes sure all the levels sound good. And it is easy for your ear to take it all in. And I want to thank Darlene Victoria for helping me behind the scenes keep track of all of the links and bits of information and pictures and graphics and and everything getting to where it needs to every episode. Without her and Craig, this show would not be possible. Also want to thank Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone and the High Dials for creating my slick theme song. Thank you guys for making me sound way hipper than I am most days. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout slow you down. 